You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. As we jump in, where we left off last week, Genesis chapter 40, verse 16. Are you there? Let's pray one more time, should we? Lord, we come before you and we open your word, knowing that your word is divinely inspired. Lord, who could receive anything from your word without divine revelation from you? It would be impossible. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit. For, Lord, just as the body is dead without breath, Lord, so are we spiritually without your spirit leading, guiding, and directing us. And so, Lord, would you minister to each and every one today as only you can. Speak to us, Lord, for we desire to hear the wondrous things that you would reveal to us from your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Verse 16. So when the chief baker saw that the interpretation of the chief butler was good, he said to Joseph, hey, I also was in a dream. And in my dream, there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. That was my dream. And I imagine his countenance is like, Hey, what do you think? Like, here's my dream, right? Like, all happy after what he just heard with the, with the cupbearer. Verse 18. So Joseph answered, and he said, this is the interpretation of it. Amazing. Here on the spot, God gives him divine insight, divine wisdom. Uh, just reveals things to him that no one could know. And the Holy Spirit will do that in our lives. He will reveal things to us. He does this for Joseph here. This is the interpretation of, of it. Three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. Oh my goodness. Uh, can you imagine being the baker at this point? What would you say? You'd like, man, I'm sorry I asked. Uh, uh, it would be a tough three days for the baker, right? You're going to have your head chopped off and the birds are going to pop your eyes out. Uh, just disgusting. Verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. In other words, he called them. He said, hey, bring the chief butler, bring the chief baker back into my court. He called for them both. Verse 21. And he restored the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand just as Joseph had prophesied. Joseph went out on a limb on these prophecies. He didn't say like a Nostradamus, nebulous kind of prophecy like, well, on the third moon rising, when the 
quail lays the gold. Like, like none of that weird stuff. He comes out with a very specific, hey, in three days, this is going to happen. And this is exactly what's going to happen. And here we see it happens exactly as Joseph prophesied. Verse 22. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph interpreted to them. Uh, uh, killed on the spot on the third day, just as Joseph had prophesied. Two amazing prophecies. Uh, look at this, verse 23. Yet the chief butler who was restored, read these words with me, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Are you kidding me? Did not remember. Isn't it amazing how selfish we can be? How someone can do something so wonderful for us, and just in a matter of days we can forget. Uh, uh, amazing how selfish we can be. The chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And, and we'll read just a couple words of verse 41, chapter 41. And it came to pass, read this with me out loud, at the end of two full years. Wow. Uh, so Joseph is in prison for how much longer? Two more years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we look at this and we think, man, what a tough setting. And poor Joseph, right? Uh, he's there and he's like, does this great, amazing thing, God's divine power in his life, God giving him revelation, God giving him insights. He speaks truth into this guy's life. And the guy forgets him. You think, man, poor Joseph. And uh, you look at that and you think, what the heck? Well, I want you to know, God is in all of this. It's hard for us to believe, but yet God is in all of this. Unknown to Joseph, God is using Joseph's life as a prophetic foreshadow of King Jesus. As a prophetic foreshadow of Jesus' life and ministry. And Joseph doesn't know any of this is happening. I want you to know the same thing is happening in your life. There are times when God is working in your life and hardship may come into your life and God is doing it so that your life might reflect and reveal the power of Jesus. And yet we don't really understand or know or grasp any of that that is going on. Joseph sure didn't. But I tell you what, this act that he just did it was an important part of the life and ministry of Jesus. And you say, how so? Well, uh, it's very interesting. We all know that Jesus died on the cross and that after three days, what happened? He resurrected. And when he resurrected, he resurrected bodily, physically in a glorified body. And he showed himself for how long? 40 days, that's a long time, over a month, he showed himself, he came to all the disciples, and he appeared to them, and he said, hey, touch my hands, touch my side, uh, a spirit doesn't have a body, you can feel me, I have, this is a resurrected body, and good news for you, church, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, in other words, that same resurrected, glorious body that Jesus received? What? We also will receive. Amazing. 
and Jesus resurrected in a glorified body to show uh, the physical proof of his resurrection. Otherwise, we would have a faith that said, well, Jesus resurrected and went into heaven as a spirit, and we wouldn't have that tangible proof. But Jesus gave us by his grace that tangible proof that he has a resurrected body. And he appeared to the disciples privately. And he told them, he says, hey, I want you to call a meeting, not just with my uh, apostles, the, the 12, but, uh, but with all my disciples. And I want you to tell everybody to go to Galilee. I have a message for you there. And so they went and Jesus appeared to them in Galilee, over 500 disciples at one time, over 500. And they all saw him. And they went to, they were martyred for their faith because they said, uh, Rome tried to stop Christianity, right? And said, hey, all you have to do is say Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And they would not say it. And they lost their lives for it, right? Uh, so this is what Jesus did after he resurrected after that third day. And for 40 days, he appeared to many and with many infallible proofs. And then after 40 days, what did Jesus do? He then ascended up in glory, up into heaven. Uh, and the disciples were standing there like dumbfounded. And the angel says, hey, quit drooling. Uh, quit staring up into heaven. For this Jesus, who has just ascended up into heaven from the Mount of Olives in glory, will return in like manner. And I long for the day. I believe it is near. When we go to Israel in October, we're going to stand on that Mount of Olives where he will uh, where he ascended and where he will return. Uh, so we know what Jesus did after his death and resurrection. But here's the question that we don't often think about. What did Jesus do those three days between his death and resurrection? What did he do for those three days? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus was pretty active, pretty busy. That the living spirit of Jesus, before he took on a resurrected, glorified body, went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. Interesting. And his message, well, it was a twofold message. Uh, <clears throat> well, before I go there, let's look at these spirits who were in prison. What is that all about? Well, the Bible would teach, Jesus would teach, Luke chapter 16, Jesus would teach that when uh, uh, people died, uh, <clears throat> they went to a place called Hades. Uh, did you realize uh, that uh, in, out of all the Old Testament saints... Out of all the people who died in faith in the Old Testament, uh, King David, Moses, Elijah, uh, all of the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, on and on, like millions. Do you realize that not one of them went to heaven? Did you know this? Uh, crazy, crazy. Jesus taught very clearly 
Nicodemus, a religious leader uh, at that time, a, a Pharisee, a high-ranking religious leader, came to Jesus and said, hey, what must I do to go to heaven? And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he can't even see or perceive that heaven exists, the kingdom of heaven exists. Uh, he basically, let me paraphrase, Nicodemus, you might want to forget about going to heaven Unless you're born again, you can't even perceive that the kingdom of heaven exists. And look at what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 13, in this discussion with Nicodemus. Look what Jesus said. Jesus' words. Read them with me. No one has ascended to heaven. Wow. Let's pause there for a second. You mean all of the Old Testament saints? Moses, Elijah, David... Joshua, uh, Isaiah, whoever you want to pick, right? None of them went to heaven. Yeah, Jesus said no one, not one, has ascended to heaven. Interesting. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is what? In heaven. What did Jesus just say about himself right there as he's talking to Nicodemus bodily? What did he just say? Nicodemus, no, one's go, no one has gone to heaven except me who's talking to you and is also what? In heaven right now. Nicodemus will go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Only God could do that. And Jesus would say, exactly. Exactly. No one has ascended to heaven at any time ever in the history of the world, in the history of mankind. From Adam and Eve on. Well, then where in the heck did they go? Well, Luke 16, as I mentioned, Jesus would teach us. Some call it a parable. It's not a parable because Jesus never used names in parables. And he uses names as he teaches us this about Lazarus and this rich man who died. And he says they both die and uh, they both go to a place called Hades. And Jesus says that in Hades, there is a great gulf between the two places. That it's divided into two compartments, if you will. And there's a great gulf or a great chasm between these two compartments. Uh, I did this last service and I got in a little bit of trouble, so I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, only to illustrate... Uh, Hades was divided into two compartments, one a place of blessing and one a place of torment. One a place of comfort and love and one a place of anguish and misery. And so let's say, for example, that this was that great chasm between the two. All of you lucky ones would happen to be, aren't you glad you sat on this side? <laughs> You would be in what Jesus called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Uh, it was a place of comfort and bliss. Uh, and all of you, I'm sorry. Uh, I should have used the balcony maybe, but no, no, I'm joking. Uh, you would be in a place of torment. And the rich man in, in this torment says, Oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here and have him dip his finger in the water and put it on my tongue for I am in constant anguish in these flames. And Abraham would tell him, oh, I'm sorry. 
we cannot pass over to you and you cannot pass over to us. That is God's divine. There's a great gulf in between and that's the way it is. And we read the story and we read this rich man. He has all of his faculties. He has all of his memories. He remembers everything about his life and he is in total anguish. Well, the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. And he preached two messages. To those who were in Abraham's bosom or in the place of paradise, if you will, he brought a message that, hey, your salvation is accomplished And everything you were waiting for by faith has now been finished. I went to the cross and I died on the cross for your sins. Why couldn't all these people go to heaven? Why did Jesus say no one has gone to heaven? Why? Here's why. Because we're all sinners and God is holy. And in order to come into God's presence, we must be holy, and we're not. And the book of Hebrews would tell us, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, of lambs, of sheep, to cleanse us of our sins. Well, then why did God ask for all these Old Testament sacrifices to be done? Well, to point us and to to show us who? Jesus. Jesus. You see, God was very prescriptive when he gave these animal sacrifices of how they were to be done. With exquisite detail, he gave instruction. And here's how it would work. You would sin. You would sin against God. You had a lustful thought. You stole. You lied. Whatever the case might be. Well, you deserve death. Sin is separation from God. And yet God loves you. And he wants you to be in a relationship with him. So God said, hey, bring an animal. Bring a perfect lamb without spot or blemish. And bring it to the temple. And put your hand on that animal's head. And confess your sins on that animal's head. And symbolically, your sins will be transferred onto that animal. And then take a sharp knife and slit that animal's throat. And you will watch that animal die in your place. And you would do it. And that animal would squirm and scream and yell. And it would be horrible. And you'd realize, wow, sin has a high price. And then that animal's blood would be put, and that animal would be put on the altar as an offering to the Lord. Now, all of it was just ceremony. It was just symbolic. It was pointing all of us to this Messiah who was promised from the beginning of time, who would take away the sins of the earth. And again, Hebrews would tell us it's not possible for the blood of an offering, an animal sacrifice, the blood of lambs, the blood of bulls and goats to cleanse a man of a sin. So no one went to heaven. They were all waiting for this Messiah to come. And Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. What is finished? Man's redemption, salvation. And uh, there Jesus went and he preached to the spirits who were in prison, all who were waiting in faith. And he said, 
It's finished. I died on the cross. And the Bible says something very interesting that he led captivity captive and he took them up into heaven. Now the Apostle Paul would teach us after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Uh, that verse in, uh, that we looked at, uh, John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven. Not true anymore. Uh, now all of God's, those who died in faith have, have gone up into heaven. And when we die, we, go right, we no longer go to Abraham's bosom. But he also went and preached to those who were in Hades. And to those who were in Hades, the, sat, uh, the demons and, and, and all those who were unbelieving, uh, he went and said, this evil that, that, you, that was meant for evil, uh, I and my sovereignty have used for the redemption of the world. And he brought a message of judgment uh, and, uh, and death to this side of Hades. Two messages. Uh, to this side, he said, it is finished. I have accomplishment. What you meant for evil, I have used for good. And now you know what awaits you? The great white throne judgment that Jesus taught about in Matthew 25, if my memory is correct, in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, the great white throne judgment awaits you. And uh, we, we learn in Revelation 20, no one, not one person, makes it through the great white throne judgment. They are all cast into the lake of fire, those who go through the great white throne judgment. And fascinating to know, uh, there's not one person in hell yet, uh, the ultimate hell, the lake of fire. Uh, that all happens at the great white throne judgment. So some amazing things. Jesus, uh, those three days, what did he do? He went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. Two very different messages, one of salvation, one of judgment. Guess what Joseph did? A message of salvation and a message of judgment. Jesus using Joseph's life as a prefigure of Jesus's life and ministry. Does that make sense? Are you understanding? Uh, here's what the Bible says about this. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, read with me. When he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. What is that? Yeah, he went and preached to the spirits who were in prison and he said, it is done. And he took them all up into heaven uh, before he appeared in his glorified body here on earth to the rest of the disciples, right? He led captivity captive and then notice what it says. And he gave what? Yes. Gifts to men. Gifts to men is Acts chapter two where he gave all the gifts of the, of the spirit to the church. Uh, the spiritual gifts to the church, right? Uh, now, verse 9. Now this, that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who has ascended far above the heavens. And let me hear you read this last part of this. That he might... That he might fulfill all things. This plan of salvation laid out before the beginning of the earth. Uh, amazing. 
and we look at the earth, and I am so thankful. I look at the world, and I look at all that is going on in the world, and all the evil that is going on in the world, and I am so thankful to be reminded of stories like this today because I see God's sovereignty, and what do I see? That, that God thought that our redemption was worth it. God knew that all this evil would be transpiring and all this wickedness would be transpiring. But to him, it was worth it. And he said, I'm still going to go through with it. I still want to do it because your redemption is that important to him. Your relationship with God is that important to him. And there's a powerful verse in Romans 8.20, if my memory is correct. Uh, uh, For the creation... Uh, no, that's 820. What's the one I wanted to give you was, uh, it's still Romans 8, but uh, what if God endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fit for destruction that he might show his glory to the vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory? Uh, that's a mouthful, but all of this to say, what if God foreknew all this and endured with tremendous long-suffering and anguish all the sin of the world that he might bring his redemption upon you and bring you into the glorious liberty of the children of God, eternal life with him forever. Oh my gosh, God's plan of redemption beyond comprehension. And here God using Joseph's life in powerful ways. Uh, look what First Peter says about this. Uh, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God by being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom, or in other words, by the Spirit, he went and what? Preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient. So two messages to the spirits in prison. What a picture. What an amazing story. Uh, here, Jesus working. And uh, again, it reveals how sovereign God is and how all of this has been laid out before the beginning of time. And God is using Joseph's life in a way unknown to Joseph. Joseph doesn't know his life is glorifying God so much. And he sits there feeling like he's forgotten in prison. And God says, no, 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 no. My hand is all over your life. I'm in control of everything that's going on. And your life is being used for my glory. And oh, Joseph, if you only knew, right? If you only knew. And can I tell you something? Oh, church, if you only knew. How Jesus is working in and through your life right now to build you, to grow you, to strengthen you, and also to reveal his glory in and through your life to a world who doesn't know Jesus. You are the light of the world. Remarkable. Remarkable. And so if you are with us today, we've been looking at how Jesus is using Joseph's life as a prophetic prefigure, a foreshadow of Jesus's life and ministry. And uh, this is the fourth part of, of this talk. Some of these were covered earlier, but let's look at some of these things that we can now look at. We'll add to our list now. Uh, number one, uh, Joseph was a prophetic prefigure of King Jesus because uh, Joseph was sent by his father uh, the beloved son was sent by the father to the tribes of Israel uh, on a mission of love, right? Like Joseph was told by his dad, go and check on your brothers who happen to be the tribes of Israel and check on them and see how they're doing and uh, tell them dad loves them and uh, just bring back word of how they're doing. So Joseph went and for that, 
Well, they wanted to kill him. Well, Jesus was sent by the Father on a mission of love. And the tribes of Israel rejected him. And we see how Joseph's life is a foreshadow of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was, uh, excuse me, Joseph was rejected because of his testimony to his own brethren, of the tribes of Israel. Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders, by the tribes of Israel, because of his message, right? Uh, just amazing parallels. Uh, Joseph, they took his coat of many colors, and they dipped it in the blood, and they said, Dad, do you know whose coat this is? Uh, horrible, I mean, incredibly evil. Jesus, they took his tunic as well. Uh, they gambled, the soldiers gambled for it, and they took his tunic, and, and we see that Joseph, again, being a foreshadow of all this. Uh, they beat Joseph, threw him in a pit, and left him for dead. Uh, they did the same to Jesus, beaten to a pulp. Uh, they sold Joseph to the Gentiles for a few pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Jesus was sold by Judas to the religious leaders to be handed over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Just amazing parallels. Uh, Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and arrested. Jesus was falsely accused by the religious leaders and arrested and tried by the, the Romans. Uh, Je uh, Joseph went and preached to the spirits that were in prison. To one, a message of salvation. To the other, a message of judgment. We see Jesus did the exact same thing. Uh, just remarkable. Uh, We're going to see Joseph raised up to be sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh and to save the world from a famine, to save the world from death, to be a savior of the world, little less. And of course, Jesus, uh, the savior of the world, the greater savior, saving us from sin and death. And I want you to know these eight are only a small portion of how many more there are. So we'll... Stay tuned. Uh, I had planned on getting through 14 with you today. I didn't do it at first service. We'll see how we do here. Uh, but all of these things, an amazing foreshadow. And does Joseph have any idea any of this is going on? No idea. And neither do you. Uh, you have no idea how God is using your life. The Bible says our lives are living letters written by God and read by men. Uh, so awesome. Uh, God wants to reveal the nature and the person of Jesus through your life in your workplace tomorrow when you go to work. So when you're treated wrongfully and you handle it really well, they'll go, wow, that guy's, that guy's pretty amazing. That guy's pretty amazing. And what are you doing? You're revealing the love and the person of Jesus. And so uh, just amazing. Uh, now, in our story, uh, verse 23 tells us that what does the what does the butler, what does the cupbearer, what does he do about Joseph? He forgets him. He forgets him. And let's come back into the life of Joseph just for a moment. No doubt Joseph had got his hopes up over this whole thing. Would you agree? No doubt he saw, oh God, I see what you're doing. You give these high-ranking officials of Pharaoh's guys these dreams 
Uh, you throw them into prison. You give them these dreams. You give me the interpretation. Oh, Lord, I see what you're doing. This is going to be how you get me out of prison. Because I know you love me and I don't deserve to be here and your favor is on my life. Lord, you're so good. I love your plan. Your plan's amazing. So he tells the baker, hey, remember me when you get restored. And uh, uh, you're out on the third day. I'm expecting to be out when? On the fourth day. Yeah, let's have... <laughs> exactly. And it doesn't go that way. Joseph's hopes are shattered as he's forgotten by the butler. And Joseph will sit in prison two more years. Can you imagine? Day after day in prison. Week after week. Month after month. Two more years. Joseph was sold as a slave at 17 years of age. He will be in prison until he is 30 years old and then God will raise him up and put him at the right hand of the Pharaoh that's a long time and here he sits day after day going God I don't understand what the heck what is going on uh, uh, and as he's sitting there uh, what do you think he's praying Lord do you think you can remind the butler <laughs> it'd be nothing for you to remind the butler how many of you know it'd be like nothing for God to remind the butler, oh, I, I remember, right? And God doesn't remind the butler. And Joseph sits in prison, and he knows that all God has to do is just, God, just simply remind the butler for crying out loud, remind the butler. And Joseph sits in prison. And if we are honest, uh, let's take a look. There are times in our life when God can appear to be absent or cruel as we go through these difficult seasons. God, it'd be so easy for you to deliver me. Why don't you? Where are you? And in prison, Joseph waits for God to move. And God seems absent and God seems cruel. And Joseph waits and waits and waits. And he might wonder, God, why did you even send those guys here then? Why did you even give them dreams? Why did you even give me the interpretation? What was the point of all this? As he waits, and God seems absent. Many have wondered, if God is good, and God is omnipotent. Uh, what does omnipotent mean? All-powerful. If God is good and God is all-powerful, why then does he allow evil and wickedness in the world? And many have stumbled over that question. And that question uh, is formulated something like this. Well, if God was all-powerful, he could stop the evil from happening. And if God was good, he would stop the evil from happening. And evil happens. So either God is not good or God is not all-powerful. But he can't be both good and all-powerful. And many 
have denied God based on that logic. God can't be all good and all powerful. There's all kinds of evil going on, so therefore there must not be a God. And I want you to know, this kind of logic is a false dichotomy. And I can illustrate that for you. Uh, for one thing, uh, just because evil appears to be pointless to me, doesn't mean that evil is indeed pointless. Just because I don't understand why this bad situation is happening, doesn't mean there's not a point in this bad situation. And we can illustrate that easily, right? Uh, uh, many times God is working in ways that we just simply cannot understand through hardship he's working in ways that we can't understand. And I'll use a simple uh, analogy. Uh, say a wife gets cancer. And cancer is incredibly difficult to go through, as you all know. Many of you have been through it. And so she gets a mastectomy. Oh my gosh, God forbid. And then she goes through chemo and all those rounds of chemo over and over. And she loses all her hair. And she shakes violently at night. And she breaks out in a rash all over her body. And the blisters in her throat swell up so big from this chemo that she can't even swallow. And it's incredibly painful and incredibly hard. And you say, where is God in all that? And her husband watches her go through all these things. And he starts pondering what life might be like without his wife. And he realizes what a selfish husband he's been. Realizes that he's never really appreciated this woman for all that he should appreciate her for. And he realizes he never was really thankful to God for this incredible gift that God gave him. And he repents. And he actually starts loving his wife better, serving his wife better, and caring for his wife more, and caring for his family more, and valuing people more. And, he, and, and his marriage becomes way better. And his life becomes way better. And her marriage becomes way better. And God builds him through all of this. And my point is simply this. It is not hard to see that just because we don't understand the point of the evil and the suffering, that there is no point. God is at work in ways that we cannot understand. And this is only one of the many reasons a good and omnipotent God would indeed allow evil and suffering for his purposes. Because just because an evil appears pointless to me does not mean in, that the evil is indeed pointless, right? Uh, God works in ways we don't understand. Uh, the psalmist would understand this. The psalmist understood this concept. He had experienced it in life. Psalm 119, one of the most phenomenal psalms in the Bible, by the way. It's the longest psalm. And every single verse has the word of God named in it, which is just remarkable. You, how could you write that way? It's remarkable. Uh, there's a lot of remarkable things about it, but I need to stay on track. So let's look at Psalm 119, uh, verse 65. Uh, let me hear you read this, church, as a unified thundering voice. 
you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Let's stop there a second. He's saying, hey, I believe your commandments, but I still need to grow in wisdom. Teach me knowledge. Teach me discernment. I believe in you, God, but I need to grow. Uh, Let's read together. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist came to this realization that this affliction that happened to come in my life, this random evil that seemed to be horrible, this bad trial that I saw no purpose in, in hindsight, Lord, I see how you used it, how you grew me, how now you've given, you've used it to impart wisdom to me. And he comes up with this conclusion, Lord, you are good and Lord, you what? Do good. Now teach me your ways. I want to know you. Uh, David would find this. King David would understand this. As he runs from King Saul, who is trying to kill him in a jealous rage, he would learn to wait on the Lord in this hardship. And God would use him to build and to disciple his mighty army. These misfits that God brought him, David would disciple and pour into and turn them into the mighty men of Israel, right? David's mighty men. Those were the misfits. David would learn that God uses things that seem hard to build us and to grow us. And uh, may I simply say, God's sovereignty and faithfulness, God's goodness are never diminished even when gross injustice seems to prevail. Hold on to that truth. We may not understand why God allows all these things at the time. Joseph had no idea, but God was using it in a powerful way in his life. The skeptic, the unbeliever, the, those who lack faith in a loving God who's working this way, they're often appalled by the injustice of God who allows evil and suffering. And they say, they cry foul, man. They say, unfair, unfair. God, you're so unfair. There's no God. If there is a God, he's unfair. But I want you to even think, think about something. Think about the fallacy of that argument. That God is unfair. For where in the world did you get your concept of fairness? Where in the world did you get the concept of justice? If you believe in evolution, evolution knows no concept of justice or fairness. Evolution is what? The survival of the fittest. So evil would just be progress. You should rape, you should, you should steal, and you should murder. Because that's just survival of the fittest. That's progress. The very fact that you argue that this is unfair means that you have God's nature put into you, God's moral law given to you, that you know justice and fairness and equity are valuable attributes. 
And that did not come from you. That only came from God. So even your argument breaks down if you say, uh, where is a loving God who does all this? You would have no concept. Uh, uh, therefore, the skeptic has no reasonable basis for objecting to God for being unjust because without God, we have no basis for justice in the first place. And uh, a lot to think about on this subject. If this intrigues you, why a good God, a loving God, would allow evil in the world, two books I'd like to recommend, uh, two of my very favorites. Uh, uh, the first one is C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain. If you buy that book, buy a dictionary, because uh, you're going to need it. It's heady, it's profound, but it's a masterpiece. And it uh, goes into this subject like we're not able to in, in this short amount of time in depth. Another one is by Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, uh, a uh, pastor who just passed away this year, uh, he wrote a book called uh, A Reason for God. And uh, it is, again, just a stellar work. Uh, very profound, very intellectual, and I think you'll really enjoy it if you want to study more on these things. Uh, but back to Joseph. God lets Joseph struggle for two more years in prison. And Joseph may wonder, God, where are you? And again, to the skeptic, it looks cruel. But here's what we know. God's sovereignty and faithfulness and goodness are never diminished. And Joseph keeps his eyes on the Lord through all of this. Uh, what is God doing? What is, why does God allow all this tragedy to happen to Joseph? Here's why. God is building his man. And he does the same thing in your life. You see, I want you to know, if you are going to be wise, if you are going to be discerning, if you are going to be a good leader, if you are going to be one who can actually build others and have your territory expand so God can give you more, you are going to have to learn not to get by on immediate gratification. God can't use you for any of these ways I just mentioned if you fall apart every time you don't get what you want. The Bible would call that kind of behavior childish. And God can't make you a profound leader if you're a child. God is working in our lives and God is doing these things and at times it may feel that God is even absent or, or cruel or not interested but I assure you God is very much at work in our life and God's sovereignty and faithfulness and goodness are never diminished and sometimes we hold on to that by faith. As we go through the valley which is why the psalmist would say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your leading and your guiding, it comforts me. And I know this, you are sovereign, you are faithful, and you are good. And if those three are true, I'm okay. And so may we be wise, and may we allow God to grow us. This is how God builds his man, and I want you to know he's doing that in Joseph's life. He is making him a man of character and faith so he can be a tremendous leader, so that even when the world is going through a famine, he has vision and is able to lead others. God is going to give him great power. He's going to raise him up to the right hand of Pharaoh. He is going to rule over all the nations of the earth. He is going to have incredible power, incredible 
influence, incredible wealth at his disposal, and he will use it all to the glory of God to save millions of lives from death. And God cannot do that until he first builds his character and his man. I read a commentary uh, that I, I really enjoyed, wanted to read this to you. It says, before God can use a man greatly, he must first prepare him greatly. Problem? Few are willing to endure the greatness of God's preparation. Wow. We must remember that God orders both our steps and our stops. Both our blessings and our setbacks. Both our prosperity and our bankruptcy. God orders both. He's sovereign. Uh, there is an uh, Anglican cleric of the 1800s uh, named Griffith Thomas uh, that I, uh, I want to show you a quote that he has on Joseph's life. Uh, let me hear you read this with me. Trials may be viewed from two standpoints, and it will make all the difference to our spiritual life and peace. Which of these two points... I'm glad you read better than I do. Uh, which of these two points of view we take? Uh, so two different points, right? And trials must be viewed from that. The first viewpoint is the human side. Read with me. Joseph's suffering was due to the injustice on part of Potiphar and the ingratitude on the part of the butler. I can't believe I got accused for this. Potiphar's wife, what the heck? Potiphar, he knew I didn't do it. And now that butler, after all I did for him. That's one way of looking at it, right? Here's another, that's the human side. Here's another side. From the divine side, these difficult years were permitted for the purpose of training and preparing Joseph for the great work that God lay before him. Next slide. If we only look at the human side of the trial... We shall become discouraged, irritated, and angered. But as we turn to look at it from the divine side, we shall see God in everything and all things working together for our good. Uh, yeah, we have to choose which way we're going to look at this. Do we really believe that God's sovereignty and faithfulness and goodness will never be diminished? If we do, we will be at peace. Isaiah would say, you will keep in perfect peace him whose heart is fixed on you because he trusts in you. Wow. And we will have perfect peace. Hey, maybe you're going through a hardship right now and you're waiting on God to move in your life. And maybe you're wondering, God, why? Where are you? Hey, may we learn from Joseph to be faithful to God in the small things that he gives us. Just be obedient in the small things. There are no big things as we looked at last week. Just be faithful in the small things. And may we keep ourselves in the whole counsel of God's word. Keeping our eyes fixed on the sovereignty and goodness of Jesus Christ. Lean in to this hardship, Christian. For God is working in your life. Let him build you. He knows what he is doing. Lean into his ways. Lean into his ways. He's a good God. Uh, as I mentioned, all the patriarchs in the Bible had to learn this. King David learned it. 
Uh, Joseph is learning it. All of God's men do. Jeremiah, all, everyone. Uh, uh, God's work. Um, I'm looking at that clock. <laughs> um, I plan on getting into chapter 41 with you, uh, but I think looking at the clock, uh, we're out of time. We're going to have to save it for next week. Uh, where do we wrap this up? Uh, how do we wrap this up? Uh, <clears throat> God is using Joseph's lives in ways that he would never even imagine to reveal the glory of Jesus in him and what? Through him. And he's doing the same for you. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come back up. I want you to know this Bible, it is not the light of the world. It's not. This Bible is a light to you. This Bible is a light to the church. The Bible says, the psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto what? what? My feet and a light unto my path. You see, the Bible is the light to the church and the church is the light to the world. And so we come to church and we allow his word to illuminate our path and to build our soul and to give us vision and wisdom and discernment. And it is a light into our, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And now Jesus sends us, his church, out into the world and you are now what? A light to all the world. Tomorrow, when you face hardship. Tomorrow, as you go face a coworker who's facing hardship. Go let the light of Jesus shine in and through you. You will have no idea it's happening. But your life will reflect and reveal his love. Your kindness and compassion will be a reflection of Jesus. And again, I present to you what the Bible teaches. Your life is a living letter written by God and read by men. Now go shine brightly for the world is getting darker and it so needs the light that you have. I really believe this is one of the most exciting times to be alive. I believe the, the opposition and the persecution is going to get heavier for a little while but that the light is going to shine even brighter and brighter and brighter. And those who say that they're believers and are not will fall by the wayside. But those who keep their eyes fixed on Jesus are going to shine like the brightness of the firmament in the dark, dark night to the glory and praise of his, his power. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.